How do you feel? Because I feel nervous. I don't feel nervous at all. I just, I want this to be so good. First one's going to suck. It's not going to be perfect. I know, but it's so important. I know, but you know what's also important? That real people are doing this. Hi, I'm Sarah Kramer. Welcome to Meet the Kramers. My partner, Jerry, of 25 years, came out to me as a trans woman last year, and this podcast is about how we got here, how it wasn't a surprise to me, but also how it was a total surprise. (laughs) Jerry came out to me and then to her friends and family, and because we own a business that deals with the public, we decided to come out to the world, and then COVID hit, and we went back into isolation. This year has been a journey, to say the least, and our podcast is about how we navigated this last year, but actually, it's more about how we've navigated our 25 years together. Because about three months after we were married in 1996, Jerry came into the bedroom and said, I think I'm trans. And then for various reasons, we brushed it under the rug, we didn't tell anybody, and we went on with our lives. So when she came to me last year and said, I think I'm a trans woman. I was like, this again? (laughs) It wasn't new to me, but also it just kind of came out of nowhere. We are going to talk about everything under the sun, from how we grew up, how we met, how Jerry came to terms with being a trans woman, and what that meant for our marriage and our future together. We are hoping that by sharing our queer story, it will help to educate or motivate or maybe even inspire Jerry and I have been through a lot in our lives, both together and separately, and we thought it'd be fun to just loop in all of our collective wisdom into this format. Maybe you'll learn something new. (laughs) Actually, maybe I'll learn something new because sometimes wrapping my head around gender and sexual identity makes my head spin. Oh, and guess what? You're also going to hear Jerry's voice. Hiya. (laughs) Okay, let's do this. This episode brought to you by Tattoo Zoo. Located in the heart of downtown Victoria, BC, Canada, we are currently open for appointments, and normally we would tell you to come on by for a visit. But because of COVID restrictions, we ask that you instead please give us a call at 250-361-1952 or send us an email at info at tattoozoo.net, and then we can chat about all things tattoo and book you in an appointment. Just a reminder that we are tattooing Islanders only until further notice. We will announce when our books are open again to mainlanders. In the meantime, be calm, be kind, be safe, and wear your fucking mask. Hi, Jerry. Hi, Sarah. (laughs) How cool. We have our first sponsor, and it's it's our own business. Thanks, Tattoo Zoo. Thanks. So before we get started, we wanted to say hi to those of you who may know us because we co-own a tattoo shop here in Victoria called Tattoo Zoo. I'm the shop manager and I do all the boring stuff. And what about you, Jerry? I also do the boring stuff, but the boring stuff happens to be tattooing, (laughs) which is pretty cool. How long have you been tattooing? 25 years this year. 
Um, and then uh, me. Many of you may know me from my cookbooks. Um, I had some wildly popular cookbooks in the early 2000s, How It All Began, Garden of Vegan, La Dolce Vegan, blah, 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 Vegan A Go Go. And I had a retail store uh, called Sarah's Place, but we had to close it because I got breast cancer in 2013. But we're going to talk all about that later in the podcast. But before we start, we want to start with a disclaimer. We are not experts at all. Nope. But this last year has been a real learning process and we wanted to share some of the insights. The only thing that we are experts in is talking about our personal experience. We went into the pandemic lockdown shortly after Jerry came out as a trans woman and we haven't really been able to cultivate or conversate or celebrate with a community like you normally would when you come out. And being social when you can't be social and trying to connect with other trans people or even just any people has been impossible during the pandemic. So we thought that doing a podcast would be a fun way to reach out. We are going to do our best and probably say the wrong thing or use incorrect terms or da-da-da, but that's where you come in. Any constructive feedback you have in regards to the use of language that we use or topics we talk about, we are open to learning more so we can course correct. Our email is info at meetthekramers.net. Send us a love note. We thought we were going to start this podcast right away with Jerry's coming out story, but then we thought maybe it would be better to start with our backstory. And I was stumped about how to start, so I googled <laughs> questions to ask someone about their childhood, and I cherry-picked the best questions, and this is the result. Where were you born, and what was it like? I was born in Murrayville, BC, which is the town, I think, that surrounds the hospital in Langley, so Langley. And it was the 70s. There was like some cool cars. There's a trailer that we lived in. It was pretty great. And I grew up in Regina, Saskatchewan. In, I was born in 1968. And for those of you who don't know, Saskatchewan is just sort of just above North Dakota. Just to give you an idea of how desolate the landscape is. And it's the kind of place where in the summer it's like 32 degrees hot and then in the winter, it's like minus 32, but like minus 40 something with the wind chill and your eyelashes would freeze. It's just like from one extreme to the other. And it's a lovely city, but it also was kind of terrible for me as a teenager because if you even show an ounce of anything odd or weird or not straight and narrow, you're just labeled a freak. And then... You have to run for your life. Next question. Did you have a happy childhood? I think so. I don't have a lot of, um, I don't have a lot of bad memories about it. It seemed pretty regular, grown up, kind of poor, doing kind of poor kid things, I guess. Did you feel like you were poor? No, I never wanted for anything. Anything I, anything I asked for, I got. I had a very happy childhood but it was split in half. So the first half of my childhood is like a full color movie. My mom and I used to write poetry while we laid in the backyard and there was like finger painting and um, just lots of fun and frivolity. But then when I turned 10, my mom died suddenly um, after about six weeks of being sick from cancer. And so that was a big shock. So I went from a very happy, lovely childhood to a black and white movie full of despair. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to laugh. It's an inappropriate response to uh, trauma. Anyway, 
So I had half a happy childhood, if that's a, God, every time I talk about anything to do with my childhood, it's just so sad. I mean, everybody thinks it's sad. If you say, my mom died when I was a kid, everyone everyone goes, wow, you had a sad childhood. <laughs> uh, so what did you like to do when you were a child? We, uh, we played a lot outside. Who's um, we? My brother and I. Mm. Uh, a lot of like outside in the woods, in the farms surrounding the subdivision where we grew up. A lot of like really stereotypically rough and tumble boy stuff. You know, making other kids eat dirt and <laughs> throwing rocks at each other. But I used to read a lot. I was a big loner. I was super quiet and I barely talked. At least that's how it felt like to me. And then when I was six, my brother was born. So then I went into helper mode. So I never really had like, me and my brother never were like buds. Like we would play together, but I was more like, this is what you have to do. It's my responsibility to take care of you. Because even at six, there was a lot of like, Ben looks up to you. You're yeah. Ben's big sister. You, If you're going to go out by riding bikes, you have to take care of Ben. And so I was always in caretaker mode with Ben. Right. So we were never like making other people eat dirt or, <laughs> or anything like that. But when I was a child, I really liked to just um, live inside my imagination. And I think part of it was because I was crazy shy, but also because my parents were both actors and they ran a theater company. And so I was just surrounded by people who were creative and using their imagination to create. What was your favorite game? Okay, it's kind of embarrassing. We used to play a game called Girl Machine. I don't know when it started, but I, and I don't feel like I came up with it, but, <laughs> but also knowing what I know now about myself, I might've. It was basically uh, a version of The Floor is Lava. You couldn't touch the floor and you had to like run around the room on the furniture and on the walls. Um, and if you touched the floor, then you, were be you became part girl. <gasps> oh my God. And we constantly played it. And I always lost. And I do remember doing it on purpose. It's a really wildly specific memory I have of being a child. Have you told me that before? I don't know. So my favorite game, I don't remember having any favorite games. Solitaire. <laughs> <laughs> Were you a good student? Did you get good grades? I mean, that's sort of the same. Or is it? I don't know. I think you can be a good student and also do terribly at grades. <laughs> okay. Because I don't think it's like a perfect system. I was a good student and I also got good grades. A good student is someone who isn't late for class. And is a robot. Is a robot. I was a little robot. On um, time, quiet, does my work, not disruptive. I got terrible grades. Right? <laughs> like really bad, so borderline, like this person should be failed. Because originally the first school that I went to was called Greenhouse, which was like a hippie, alternative school in the basement of a church where we had no levels. Like it was like little kids, big kids. And that was it. There were no grades. And also there was no pressure to do any work. So they would say, do you want to do math today? Or would you like to write a play with Shoshana? And I'd be like, we're going to write a play and then perform it at later in the afternoon. So the there was no structure. And so then when my mom decided to pull me out of Greenhouse 
I can't remember why she pulled me out, but I do know that I had run away twice. So one time I ran away, ran away and I hid underneath a pile of jackets and I got in so much trouble. And then the second time I actually left the property and went to the bus stop to just get away. So I don't know what happened there. I've always felt like something bad happened that I don't remember. Maybe I'm wrong. But anyway, my mom pulled me out, put me into regular school, the middle of grade three. So I walked into a conventional classroom. I couldn't add or subtract, but I was really good at reading. And then it was a nightmare because I didn't know how to do anything. And the very first day of class, the teacher said, this is our new student, Sarah. Now, would you like to lead the Lord's Prayer? Because at that time, you said the Lord's Prayer at the beginning of class, and I had no idea what they were talking about. And then she asked me to sing O Canada, which we also didn't do at Greenhouse. At Greenhouse, we sang union songs, like Solidarity Forever. So I was just like a complete fish out of water, and it was a nightmare. Uh, Were you afraid of anything when you were a kid? Yes. Clifford Olson. Is that the guy who chopped up people and fed them to their pigs? No. His pigs? Clifford Olson was someone who was um, kidnapping and killing children in the Fraser Valley in the 70s and 80s. We were all... So afraid. Wow. I was afraid of nuclear war. (laughs) Because there was so much about nuclear war in the news that I would just lay in bed waiting for the flash. And I can't have a shower with a shower curtain because I'm so afraid that I'm going to get psychoed. I'm also afraid of balloons. I'm also afraid of balloons. I don't like the squeak. I don't like them near my face. I don't like the tap, 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 tap sound that when they make against each other. (sighs) How did we meet? You were like 23? 22. 21. 21? We met when I was 21. And shortly after we met, I turned 22. So you were 21 and I was 25. 26. Would you consider yourself a happy person when we met? I don't think I was happy when we met. I think I was just mad about stuff a lot. Mad about this stuff, but righteously doing the right thing. Because when I met you, you were straight edge. Ah, yeah. Super, like, grossly straight edge. So what do you mean when you say that? Like, toxic masculine straight edge? Yeah, like all the, like... I think the thing we have to remember is that not everybody's going to know what a straight edge person is. Right. Of course. And also, I feel like straight edge is used as a word now to describe someone who doesn't drink. Yes. But when we were in the punk scene in our early 20s, straight edge was something different. Yes. I didn't smoke or drink or do drugs. Yes, that included drinking coffee off and on. Sometimes I would drink coffee and sometimes I wouldn't. <laughs> um, I couldn't seem to like pick a side in the caffeine debate. Um, Because straight-edge people avoid stimulants. Avoid drugs. Yeah. Coffee's a drug, but we never, nobody talks about sugar. Um, On our next episode. (laughs) (laughs) And when I was involved in straight-edge, it was very much a boys' club. There was lots of girls hanging around us. There was lots of girls that were straight-edge. They were not in the club. Well, like, what, why did you... Because you you were into punk music before that, but then you kind of deviated over more to the straight-edge stuff. I think I've always really loved, like, fairly aggressive stuff, like, music-wise, that is not just aggressive for the sake of being aggressive. Like, aggressive with a message. I just felt, I just felt really drawn to this 
I guess, this really hyper-masculine club I could be a part of. When I was kind of being a part of that stuff, no one was really suspecting me of anything except what I was presenting. Because you were trying to hide that, like the female side of you. Yes. And then what attracted you to punk rock music in general? Because I found punk music like when I was like 10 years old. My friend's older brother played me the Sex Pistols and the Clash and my brain exploded. And I was like, this is who I am. I am a punk at 10. I was just like, this is what I need because it was so intense. I didn't even care that they were talking about British politics. What I could feel in the music, because I didn't understand that at 10 years old, but what I could feel in the music was just like pure rage. And that's all I was at that age with no outlet to express it. Like the sound of the music just like filled my chest with what it sounded like in my head, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I was 10, but I was... Uh, probably 13 or 14. And it was, you know, somebody played me a tape and I loved it. And then punk just really appealed to me. And before I met you, but when I was just out of high school, I had a brief dalliance with the with skinhead culture too. Um, but not racist skinhead. Not racist skinhead culture. But again, I just look back now and I'm like, that's just another super hyper-masculine thing that I was like, sure, punk rock is cool, but look at how tough these guys are and I'm going to be one of them. Honestly, nobody will believe you if you tell them that I was wearing lingerie. So would I consider myself a happy person when we met? Not really. I think I was just maintaining. I had had a string of very abusive boyfriends, one right after the other, uh, before we met. The last one, who wasn't that bad in comparison to the other ones, just broke me. Like whatever... I just, I'd had enough. I'd reached my tipping point. I just kind of fell apart. I feel like I had a bit of a breakdown. I don't know where this came from, but I was like, I am not dating anybody for a full year. I'm going to take a break from all relationships and just date myself. I took that year to learn what it is that I liked and what I wouldn't put up with. And I also made a list (laughs) of what I wanted from a partner. So someone who was kind, someone who was funny, someone who supported me, someone who like liked me for me, who wasn't trying to change right. me. And then you and I met about nine months into my 12-month sabbatical from dating. I was like, I can't, I can't date this person because I'm, I promised myself that I would make it to a year. Right. But you were so different. When we met, I was just like, who is this person? You were so different than anybody I'd ever, any man that I had ever met because you weren't a man, but I didn't know that at the time. I just, I broke my sabbatical that I just was like, what am I doing? Right. This is my person. Like I knew you were my person right away. I don't know what the perception out there to the world was if I appeared to be a happy person, but inside I was deeply just full of grief. I've just been full of grief for a large chunk of my early life. Do you think I was like a happy person when we met? Yes, but also dark. We all called you Mad Camera Girl because (laughs) you looked so angry all the time. Uh, What did you look like? You tell me. Oh, when we met? What what did you look like? Yeah. Well, the first time I noticed you, you were singing in a band and you were like holding that microphone and you were so sexy and you were screaming into the mic and I was just like, and you were so tall and lanky and I was just like, Yummy. (laughs) And you were 
insanely skinny. 130 pounds. That's not healthy. No. And, but yeah, so you were tall and skinny and just super good looking. And so when I would go up and talk to you, like, hey, cute guy, you would be like, I don't know. We just had like funny chemistry. Like a weird hate flirt banter. Hate flirting. Yeah, like yeah. immediately. But not, but hate flirting in a, yeah, hate flirting, but respectful. Respectful hate flirting. <laughs> and what about me? What did I look like? It looked exactly the same. As now? I feel like it. I'm like 70 pounds heavier. I just, when I think of you, like the same, you were just so strikingly beautiful. You had such... Oh, I'm blushing. You had such strong features and you were so small. <laughs> I'm 5'1", for the record. I'm 5'1 and a half, for the record. Um, and I was probably I'm like... 5'2 like and a half. Wait, I'm five three and a half. Five two and a half. No, I'm five three no, and one half. Not. You are five two and a half. Join you us on always... our next episode when we measure Sarah to see how you, tall she actually is. I always thought you were five three. I always thought you were five three. I'm five three and one half. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll find dreams. out. We'll find out next episode. We're going to measure and see how tall I am. Um, anyway, I'm quite short. Yes. And at that time, I was also probably like ninety or ninety five yeah, pounds. Yeah, so thin. It was so really, thin, really underweight. Unbelievable breasts. <laughs> <laughs> you were, and you wore such tiny kids' t-shirts. Yeah, so it was I, I used like, to wear like secondhand, um, like secondhand children's shirts. Yeah, like, first or, time we went out for coffee and you took off your jacket. That's all I can remember from that, that first meet. I just mesmerized you just, with my bazoombas. Like, it was just how... I was just drawn to you, I guess. To me or my breasts? To you. Okay. I remember the the moment that I really, really wanted to be with you is I think we met for coffee and I said something like, oh, I'm just like not sure about dating people because I'm vegan. And you were like, I'm vegan too. And then you heard angels. And then I heard angels. That was our first date. Yeah. Okay, so wait. So I saw you at a show. We hate flirted a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then we would see each other around downtown. Yes. And just kind of like say mean things to each other, but in a like flirty way. Like you would ride your bike by and say something mean. That's it. <laughs> I remember I have a, a memory of you like leaning up against the Eaton's mall. Yes. We used to against, hang out there. Yeah. Up against the wall. And I just remember like say I don't know, I can't remember what I said to you but I just remember walking away and being like oh my god he's so cute you had a you took a photo of me at one of our shows and so you said hey I have a picture of you oh yeah just to clarify for the audience at home I used to shoot photography right we called her we called her mad camera girl because mad she camera girl always had a camera and I always had a camera for a couple of reasons one because women aren't really allowed it's not that they're not allowed. It's just there's no space made for women to yes. get up close to the bands. And if I had a camera, I could get up close to the bands and the people around me would protect me. And then I saw you at a show yeah. and I went to the grocery store yes. to go get something to drink. And I brought you back. A Coca-Cola. A Coca-Cola. And I said, I bought this for you, which was my way of flirting, was yes. to buy boys things. And you said, no, thanks. I don't drink corporate yeah, blood, blood, something. blood, blood, money, or blood yeah. drinks, or yeah, something, something snarky. And then I was like, okay. 
I think you were actually talking to my friend because he was into you. Ew. You had said something like, I've never broken a bone. And then I said, well, hey, let's go climb trees tomorrow. Like as just as a mean, hate-flirting joke. Like I didn't mean anything by it. And you were like, cool, what time? And then I was like, oh. This so you is- stole me from that other guy? Yes, that I was 100%. In? Was he mad? Yes. He was? Yes. He was like, mean camera girl is mine. Yeah, something like... I feel like a day or two before that, and this is gross. This part's gross and I don't feel good about it. But um, there was... Wait, toxic masculinity alert. Yeah. There was this one girl who I saw a couple of times around downtown. I don't know who she was. Um, and she walked by one time. We were, we were all hanging out together. And my friend was like, I'm so into that girl. I was like, are you kidding me? I've been like following that girl around like for the last three weeks. And then my friend said, that's no fair. You always call dibs on every girl. And I said, I don't. Just give me this one. And he's like, okay, I'm going after Mad Camera Girl. <gasps> and I was like, what? I'm like, all right, that's fair. And then, honest to God, the next night. Like, I was flirty all yeah, over you. Yeah. And then I was just like, I mean, he doesn't have a shot. That's what <laughs> I got. So then we made a plan to have a date the next day. Yeah. And, and- we've never been apart since... Oh Yeah. Was our first date when we went for coffee? Yeah, at QV's. So we went for coffee. Yep. I told you I was vegan. Yep. We bonded over that. Yep. We rode bikes. We both had bikes. Yes. And we rode bikes over to the Wax Museum. Yes. Where you knew how to climb up onto the roof by sneaking in between a break in the fence. And then we sat up on top of the roof of the Wax Museum and like, we didn't kiss, Mm-mm. but we did flirt. We flirted a lot and we... Probably till like three in the morning. And then you rode me up to the 7-Eleven on yes. Yates um, because I was house sitting at a house in Oak Bay. And so we said goodbye. And I rode my bike home back to Oak Bay, which is a really far bicycle is, ride. Yeah. But I had tears in my eyes because I knew you were oh. my you were my lobster. That's sweet. And actually, if memory serves, I actually stopped off at Lee's house, my ex-boyfriend. To tell him about it. Yeah, that's weird. It is weird. (laughs) I didn't have great boundaries back then. (laughs) So back then, did you have a good head on your shoulders? I think I was pretty into being super righteous about stuff. And I don't think I thought anything through. But don't you feel like you were kind of the the grown-up in the group of friends that you had? Like you're the one who used your credit to be able to rent the PA for the punk show. Right. So to me, that's someone who has a good head on your shoulder on their shoulders. And I was the same in that I made sure everybody paid their rent. Right. I um, took everybody's rent and then used my check to pay for it. The hydro was in my name. Right. Even though we were all pretty much the same age, I was like the dead mom of the house. Right. But when we met, and like specifically the night we met, my hydro had been shut off because I didn't pay my bill. That's right. <laughs> Oh, boy. Back then, what did you do for fun? Walked around, rode bikes, not drinking, sat on steps, people watching. Because Victoria, like, just to let everybody who doesn't know, Victoria's back then especially was a pretty sleepy little town. Like, Victoria is the capital city of the province, but we're located on an island away from the mainland. You have to take a ferry. So it takes a while to get here. Like, everything kind of shut down by, like, 10 o'clock. And we would just fuck shit up, like... 
We had roller skates and we'd roller skate through our neighborhood at night. I had a video camera. So me and my roommates go into Tim Hortons at like three in the morning and just like interview people. Right. We were just like, they're just fucking around having the best time. Yeah. And yes, I still have some of those VHSs. You would have had a YouTube channel. Oh, I'm so glad that we didn't have the internet back then because I uh, would have been in trouble. Like you had a group of boys that there's you a, hung out with. Yeah, there's a group of boys that I hung out with. Um, and shortly after I met you, that relationship ended with all of them. Because they kicked you out of the band. Yeah. Does that make me the Yoko? Yeah. Was it because of me? No. Why was it? I, uh, they had their reasons. Do you know why? But you don't uh, want to say? No, it was just it was just a lot of stupid stuff. It's an old wound, and I don't feel like we don't really need to pick at it. Okay. Uh, I lived in a punk house with, like, my core group of girlfriends, and the three of us got this, I guess it's a townhouse, but like an old townhouse. Duplex. A duplex, thank you. From, like, the, I think it was, like, built in 1890 or something, and we had no money, so we just kept adding roommates to the house and so at some point, I think in the three years that we lived there, we had something like 15 different roommates. And at one point, I think we had like two, three, four, like almost eight people living there at once, maybe more. There's um, four couples. Anyway, there's a lot of people in this one house and the landlord lived like three houses down and he'd come over and be like, I know you have more than three people living here. And I'm like, these are just our friends. Didn't you have friends visiting when you were in your 20s? And he's like, I know you have more people living here. I'm like... No, it's just uh, uh, Tanya and Kim were like my best, like they were my girls. Um, And then our friend Jen moved into town from uh, Toronto and then she became part of our little group. And the four of us were called the Dench Girls. And also people said we were scary because we were like, you know, we were all riot girls and we just didn't take any shit from anybody. And I honestly think we were kind of mean sometimes. And if we got onto a tear burn you to the ground. Yeah. Because we would just like amp each other up. Did you have any life goals like around the time that you met me? Like, were you thinking about the future or what? No. Oh. 100% no. I think my life goal was to get healthy because by the time when we met, I was really sick. Chronic fatigue. Yeah. I had been diagnosed with chronic fatigue. I don't actually know if that's what I had because, um, kind of went away when I started doing grief work with a therapist. Right. So looking back on it now, sometimes I think that maybe I was, I just had so much intense grief that I had not even processed in any way that it was like just bogging me down. Um, But I was really sick at that time. Like I could barely get dressed some days. Like just for reference, I would like get up in the morning and if I could get dressed that day, it was a good day. I couldn't walk like half a block without being so fatigued. So I I don't know. I also wasn't eating very much. I was like really, I really underweight. I was not taking care of myself. So around the time that I met you is when I started to change my lifestyle. So I had stopped drinking. I didn't do drugs. I was sleeping better. I made my health a priority. So if everybody was going out and I didn't feel so great, I would have, I would stay home. Right. And so when we met, I had just sort of just started that. Yeah, I don't think, I really don't think I had any life goals. It was like, I was working, was I working? I was working in a restaurant. Yeah. And that was good enough. Well, I guess we kind of talked about it, but can you remember anything specific 
about when we first connected. Uh, really like the only big thing, and it's not really about you, it's just about <laughs> um, is the first time that I came over to your house and she was like, oh, hey, can I tell you something? And I was like, sure. And she's And she was just like, you're not the one for her. She said that to your face? Yeah. Oh, I thought she just said it to me. No. <gasps> On the porch at the Springfield house. Wow. And I was like, okay. And then I went inside because, I don't know, I never really liked her. <laughs> you know we're recording this, right? But I've, I'd known her for a long time before that. And we had never, yeah. like, she'd never been a person that I was invested in emotionally. In her defense. And... I just want to say that I had had a string of really bad boyfriends. Totally. And so I like to think that she was just looking out for me. I'm I'm not saying she was a bad person. No, I know that. I'm just saying that you guys all were very mean. <laughs> and I think she was a bit of a ringleader in that regards. And she wasn't standing outside alone. So it's not that she just said that alone. It was like there's there was some other people there. So it may have been... That's terrible. ...your stuff. Can I remember any specific things about when we first connected? That phone call, I listened to you have a phone call with your mom. I I think I said it before. You were just so kind and loving to your mom. I thought, if he's that kind to his mother, he's going to be that kind to me. Okay, just, I was so touched. (laughs) I think my aunt had died. Well, whatever it was, (laughs) I was so touched by how sweet you were with her. And I just thought you, I just thought that is a really loving, caring person. Right, at the payphone in Chinatown. Yes. So we hitched our wagons together really quickly. (laughs) I moved in across the street the week we started dating. Because? Because you told me that your friend was trying to get out of his lease or something. Yeah, I think it was on our first or second date. On our first date, you told me. (laughs) And I was like, you should move in across the street. Right. But then you never really lived in that apartment. You were just with me, like from the... From our very first date, we were almost never apart. We, I think we both slept there maybe three times in six months. You just uh, stayed with me. I just stayed with you. But I did eat breakfast there every morning. Because? Because you said you weren't allowed to have breakfast. Oh, to use the, probably, it was probably more about getting like the bath, the bathroom in the morning. I think they just didn't want to see you in the morning. Right. Oh, maybe. But so poor Bonnie is living in my apartment living with me in my apartment. Wait, so you had a roommate? We had told the landlord she was my sister going through a divorce. (laughs) (laughs) And that she was going to stay with me for a bit. Our poor landlord. I know. Because the landlord who owned my house was the same landlord. Oh, bird. (laughs) But really, she's the only one that lived there because I had a bed there, but I never used it. It was just a one bedroom. It was a one bedroom. The living room was my bedroom. Because I I never slept there. (laughs) But I would go in there every morning at like five in the morning and then go to work. Honest to God, I I swear to you, I think it's because I said that she didn't want to see you. (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) And so that you were not allowed to eat breakfast in the house. That makes sense. Why do you think we hitched our wagons together so quickly? I think we just had a really intense connection from day one. We just didn't want to be apart. When we... Matt, and started dating, did you know that you were trans? No. Did you have, like, funny feelings about your body or besides robot, was it? Robot girl? Girl machine. Girl machine. When we first met, I had been cross-dressing for five years. In secret. In secret. So secret. Like, so secret that 
that if I did, I don't even know if I had anything in my apartment when we met. I think I might have been on... On a break? Yeah, like on a, oh my God, what am I doing? Get rid of all this stuff and then slowly buy more and then... So when you were cross-dressing, you were thinking of it more as a kink? Yeah, definitely more as a kink. Oh, how weird is it? I like to wear lingerie. And just in your house by yourself? Yes. There's just some experimentation in high school, like with partners. But when I moved out on my own, it was just like, just a solo activity. But was it sexual or were you like just like... For sure sexual. Okay. Like it wasn't like, I'm going to make dinner and I'm going to wear this? No. And uh, and and there was a lot of shame around it. And so I kept it really hidden, kept it really low key. Obviously no one knew about it. I didn't really know that that people could could just be trans. The conversation that I had heard up until then was that you feel like you're in the wrong body. I never had that feeling that I was in the wrong body. This is my body. I've always known it's the body that I was given. And it's that's the body you get. I've been indifferent to it. Saying it's wrong doesn't feel right with me because it's just what I have. And also you have a very logical brain and yeah. you are very good at like compartmentalizing stuff. And that's how you like. That's how I function. I just put That's how you in, function. I put things in boxes. Yeah. And so because especially in the 70s and 80s, all of the um, media around trans representation was either documentary style, Phil Donahue stuff, which is just I'm in the wrong body or movies involving like trans people being psychotic killers. It definitely didn't feel like it was a thing that could be me. But I do know that when I would see trans women on television, I would just be like so enamored with them. I thought it was part of the kink. Like it was... Right. You didn't I, think that, that, that yeah. that's me. Yeah. I just didn't think it could apply to me. They all just, they've all always sound so sure of themselves. And I've never felt sure. Why do you think... I was also so interested in trans stuff, like when I'd see it on Phil Donahue or... Do you think just the whole world is interested in trans things? I think trans people are really special. I think that there's a real reason why heteronormative patriarchy like wants to keep everything the way it is, keep everything straight and white and separate. Do you remember how we decided to get married? Because I don't. Because <laughs> there was no like... I don't really. There was no big proposal. What I do know is that my friend was had moved to Montreal and she was coming back to Victoria, but she was doing it via a road trip. So she was going from Montreal down to Memphis, New Orleans, across Texas, through Las Vegas, and then back up the West Coast. And so I was going to meet her halfway and wanted to go to Graceland. So I was planning to meet her down there. And then at some point we were making plans that you were going to meet us in Vegas and we were going to get married. But I don't remember how... I don't remember how that happened. That happened. But I was going to I was going to drive down to Las Vegas with our roommate, JB. And we were going to meet up and get married. Yeah. And we then were, we were all going to drive back. Yeah, we were definitely... That was the plan. But why were we getting married? Was it a lark or did we I feel really like it was get- a lark. I feel like... I feel like you were like, this is the trip you're doing. And I was like, me and JB should drive down and we'll meet you guys in Vegas. We should get married. Like something like that. So you were going to meet me in Las Vegas. We were going to get married. But on that trip in New Orleans, my friends and I got robbed at gunpoint. And it was pretty bad. And that's when I felt like we went from being kids in our 20s, having fun and fucking around, to suddenly having to deal with some really adult issues 
And it's like, that's the turning point for where I feel like our innocence was just gone. Sound engineering for this episode by Gavin Stacy. Tune into our next episode where we talk about putting ourselves back together after our first big trauma as a couple and how it made us reevaluate everything. If you want to get in touch with us with constructive feedback, share a story, or just send us a love note, email us at info at meetthekramers.net. Thanks for listening.